How can we stay united when so much divides us? The series that we're in the middle of right now is called Undivided, and I, I am absolutely loving it. I hope you are too. Every, we've done this before, but everything's kind of been freshened and updated, and, and today's message actually is going to be entirely different and new uh, from what we've had in the past, and uh, so I hope that you're going to get a lot out of this. But before we get into that, let me just say, if you're new here, welcome. We're glad you're here. My name is Adam. I'm one of the pastors, and I'm so glad you're joining us here. Uh, if you don't mind, uh, I know the offering has already passed, and so sometimes you can fill out that Connect card card and put it in the offering. But if you, if you want to and you're visiting today, fill out one of those cards and we'll, in, we'll give you some gift stuff at our Welcome Center if you take it there and we'll invite you to dinner where we'll get to talk and, and answer any questions that you have about the church. And also, if you don't already know this, if English is not your first language and you want to follow along in another language, you can do that at efree.org slash translate. And uh, we've hear, heard a lot of stories of people who are really benefiting from this and following along. You can do this online too, by the way, if you're watching online right now, please feel free to go to efree.org slash translate, and you can read in whatever language is more comfortable for you. And if you don't have a Bible with you, of course, you can follow along at efree.org slash Bible, or go to the YouVersion Bible app. You'll find us listed there under events, and you can follow along that way. Well, our text this morning is in Titus chapter 2, and you know we've been working through this study of 1 Timothy. We're in it for the whole year, taking some breaks along the way, some little detours, uh, but they're all tying back into 1 Timothy. And so in Titus, Paul is dealing with situations very similar to what we just saw when we were working through 1 Timothy chapter 1. And this whole Undivided series ties back into what Paul was telling Timothy in 1 Timothy 1, and it prepares us for what he's going to tell Timothy in the next few chapters. And so it's just a perfect time to kind of work this in here. And the passage we're going to study today in Titus ties in beautifully. In fact, we're going to jump back and forth a little bit and see some overlap between Titus and 1 Timothy as Paul is communicating to both of these men. There is an incredible amount of similarity here. So if you have this in your Bibles, Titus chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 1 and read through this together. Paul says, as for you, Titus, promote the kind of living that reflects wholesome teaching. That's a key phrase. Remember that phrase. Teach the older men to exercise self-control, to be worthy of respect, and to live wisely. They must have sound faith and be filled with love and patience. Similarly, teach the older women to live in a way that honors God that they must not slander others or be heavy drinkers. Instead, they should teach others what is good. These older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children, to live wisely and be pure, to work in their homes, to do good, and to be submissive to their husbands. Then they will not bring shame on the word of God. In the same way, encourage the young men to live wisely. And you yourself must be an example to them by doing good works of every kind. Let everything you do reflect the integrity and seriousness of your teaching. Teach the truth so that your teaching can't be criticized. Then those who oppose us will be ashamed and have nothing bad to say about us. Before we go any further, I want to invite you to bow your heads with me if you would and pray and ask God to bless our time in the word this morning. Jesus, as we approach this text and many other parallel texts are, are from the Bible that teach us about this wholesome teaching that Paul is talking about, I ask that you would kind of open our hearts and our minds to be receptive to what you want to share with us. It's probably going to hit different people in this room and watch it online in different ways. 
it's probably going to have some different application points for us based on our background and our preconceptions and some of the issues that we're wrestling with right now. And we know that your word is powerful, that as we communicate it and as we talk about it, you are working in ways that we can't anticipate. You're doing things that are not a part of my plan, they're a part of your plan. So God, please speak through the message this morning. Touch hearts, touch minds. And we also think of our brothers and sisters in other churches around St. Louis, around this country, around the world, especially other churches right now in our area, in our time zone that are right now gathering together to worship you, to open your word just as we are doing, like the journey down the road or Twin Oaks or the many other churches that are around here that are praising you, lifting you up, opening the Bible and learning about you and what you teach us. And even though there might be some disagreements on some areas of belief, if they trust in you for salvation, if they trust in Jesus Christ and not in anything else that they can do, if they agree on what we call the dogma bucket, then we believe they're followers of Jesus. They're our brothers and sisters. And so we, we lift them up, all of us today, Lord, in prayer that you would guide them into truth, that you would comfort and encourage them, that your Holy Spirit would be working in those churches and in our church today. And that everything that we do here with, and with our brothers and sisters in the greater church all over the place, meeting to worship and glorify you, that you would be honored by it, Lord, that it would be a sweet sound to your ears today. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I wanna talk to you a little bit about Titus. Who is this guy? What's going on with him? We don't hear about him as much as Timothy, and I'm not gonna give you a full bio, but what you need to know is that Titus, like Timothy, was stationed by Paul in a specific area for a specific purpose to oversee a large church. Paul left Timothy, or Titus rather, in a place called Crete, an island called Crete. Now Crete is a large island, about 3,200 square miles. And to put that into perspective, it's a little smaller than the big island of Hawaii. Uh, but it is the size, if you were to take uh, Kauai, Maui, and Oahu, I think it is, and combine the three together, and then times two, you would have about the size of Crete. So it's a large island. Sandy beaches, tall mountains, you got a whole bunch of different things going on on the island of Crete. And a bunch of different communities, a bunch of villages, and each of those villages sort of had a, a local community of believers if there were believers there. And so at one point, Paul is talking to Titus, and he says, I want you to go around to these different places, because he couldn't just send an email, and I want you to establish leaders in these places, establish godly leaders. So the whole church in Crete was sort of under the authority of Titus, but then there were individual communities. It was a multi-site, multi-community church, large church, on the island of Crete. What Paul wanted Titus to do was the same thing he wanted Timothy to do, which is I want you to teach good teaching. I want you to give them really good, wholesome teaching, Paul says. And we're going to talk about that a lot this morning. And I want you to protect them from false teaching. And then I want you to establish other godly leaders in the church who are going to do the same things. They're going to have good teaching and they're going to protect people from false teaching. And that's what Paul is trying to impress upon Titus and what he was sharing with Timothy as well. Now, believe it or not, Paul received his teaching directly from Jesus. We don't hear about this a lot, but Paul mentions it a couple of times. Uh, we're going we're gonna to see it in a little bit when we have uh, communion later. When we take the Lord's Supper, I'm going to read a passage that talks about something that Paul received directly from Jesus himself, and that's in 1 Corinthians. 
But in the book of Galatians, Paul says that after he became a believer, he did not go to Jerusalem, he says, to be taught by other believers. He went into Arabia where he stayed for three years and was taught directly by Jesus Christ. And so it helps us to understand why false teaching is such a big deal for the apostle Paul. He had heard it straight from the source. He had the master copy. He was not passing on what Peter told him or what James told him. He got it straight from Jesus. And so when he saw counterfeit teaching that was opposed to what he had heard directly from Jesus, he went, "Uh uh-uh, I cannot have this. This cannot be. And so it was a very big deal to him. He also saw how dangerous these contrary teachings could be, how they could infect Christians who were not yet strong in their faith and distract them from doing the things God wanted them to do and sidetrack them from becoming what God wanted them to be. He saw how it could distract people or confuse people who were considering Christianity. They were sort of kicking the tires to see, is this something I want to really dive into? Am I really going to believe in this Jesus guy as a Messiah? Am I going to put my faith in him? And they're hanging out with Christians. And then they experience different Christian leaders teaching different things that are opposed to each other. And what happens to a lot of people then? They just go, forget this. You guys can't even figure out what's up between you. Why would I want to be part of a group that has this kind of fighting going on? And so Paul takes this very seriously. There's a specific phrase that he uses here in Titus and throughout the Bible. It's a Greek phrase that gets translated in the version I'm using as wholesome teaching. It's hugianuse didaskalia. Hugianuse didaskalia. And hugianuse means, uh, according to the best translations into English today, wholesome, sound, or healthy. This is wholesome, sound, or healthy. Didaskalia the best translations for this today that are most faithful to what would have been meant by the original word here are teaching or instruction. But there used to be a third word that was a fantastic interpretation or translation of didaskalia and has sort of gotten muddied in recent decades. And so it's not used in most of the good translations today. The better translations based on on better scholarship and the, and the majority of manuscripts do not use this word, but the older ones do because it used to be a great word to use for didaskalia, and that is the word doctrine. Now, doctrine is not a word that comes directly out of the Bible. The word is didaskalia, and doctrine does not really come from didaskalia. Doctrine comes from a Latin word, docere, which means to teach. And docere became doctrina, which means teaching. And then through the old French to the English, that eventually became our version, doctrine. So it's, it's our word today, English word, that we used to translate didaskalia as, but originally it was just didaskalia. Now, why is any of this important, you may be asking. In fact, some of you are probably glossing over right now. The minute you learned that this was a message about doctrine, some of your brain just went, bloop, I'm off. Like, why do I care about doctrine at all? What difference does this make in my life? And I want to tell you, it makes a lot of difference. It made a lot of difference to the Apostle Paul. And at the end of this message, I am going to share with you the real purpose for doctrine. And if that isn't clickbait, I don't know what it is. Stick around because the end of the message, keep your brain on, we are going to talk about the real purpose for doctrine. But before we do that, we have to talk about what doctrine is. Because I've been doing this long enough that I know 
There are people out there who when they hear doctrine, they hear different things. There are different applications of this, preconceptions of this, so we have to define our terms. Some people think we should put all kinds of stuff in the doctrine bucket. Some people think we should keep it very, very small. And some people just when they hear the word doctrine, they just get really uptight for various reasons. Probably because they don't understand the history of the word doctrine or the words that Paul actually uses to talk about this, which in our translation today translate as wholesome teaching or in some cases healthier sound instruction. So let me just clarify what we mean by doctrine when we say doctrine and what we mean by a doctrine bucket. The dictionary defines doctrine as a belief or set of beliefs held and taught by a church, political party, or other group. And the definition that we're going to use or the description for the doctrine bucket, remember, we're talking about four different buckets of belief. If you have not been with us for the whole series, you may want to go back and watch the last couple of messages because it will give you context that you will need to fully understand what we are talking about today. I'm not going to review everything for you today, so you'll want to go back and watch that. But in these four buckets of belief, you have dogma, you have doctrine, you have conviction, and you have preference. Four different buckets. They're within each other. So the dogma bucket is inside of the doctrine bucket. And we define the doctrine bucket this way. Beliefs that a church or group of Christians consider sound biblical teaching and essential for unity and fellowship in that group. I'm going to explain why as we go. Now this doctrine bucket can include a doctrinal statement, a statement of faith, but it's not limited to that. Doctrine in the old sense is what Paul called wholesome, sound, or healthy teaching. It's just teaching. It's good teaching. Paul never provides us with a set list. In fact, when he's talking about teaching, sound teaching and passing on his teaching, he doesn't give a nice systematic outline. He says things like this, with all these things in mind, dear brothers and sisters, stand firm and keep a strong grip on the teaching we passed on to you, both in person and by letter. He's saying all that stuff that we told you, And the stuff that I told you about in the letters answering your questions, that's the good teaching. That's the sound, wholesome, healthy teaching. That's the doctrine that you need to hold on to. All that stuff I told you. He tells Timothy, you've heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. And as far as we know, Paul never passed on a list of eight or 10 or 12 doctrinal statements. He just taught. He shared what Jesus taught him. He passed it on and he expected those things to be passed on. Now later, Christians would develop set lists of doctrinal statements and they called them creeds. And so you have the Roman Creed and the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed and dozens of other creeds which all come later and eventually Christians developed systematic theologies. We love systematic theologies in the West. I mean, not all of you do but those of us that are really into this stuff in this country in particular, love our systematic theologies. It's a big deal. Systematic theology tries to take all of the truths we find in scripture all over the place and bring them together, rearrange them into different places to try to bring some order and structure that we don't find in the Bible. Let me put that another way. Systematic theology treats the different truths in scripture like puzzle pieces, that we try to pull from here and there and categorize and order and structure to kind of put the whole picture of the puzzle together so that we can have a more complete picture of what God is doing than what he actually directly revealed in his word. Now, if that sounds a little bit on the nose to you, like that's a little arrogant, it probably should. 
It's not a bad pursuit. Don't get me wrong. I love me some systematic theology. That is like a fun hobby for me. And I know for most of you it's not. I'm not going to go into this too much further. I love systematic theology. It reveals things to us. It shows things to us that we might not get otherwise. It's it's the process of trying to figure out what is God doing with all of this? And if I take this thing from Isaiah and this thing from Revelation and this thing from Daniel, maybe I can piece something together and I can see like what God's doing and why and how and how it works behind the scenes. But we have to remember something about systematic theology. There is a human element involved here and there is great danger when we take aspects that we learn from our systematic theology and we start to view those human deductions and inferences as authoritative as the scripture they are based on. There are a lot of things that that we can deduce and think are probably true that aren't necessarily clearly spelled out in the word of God. Or what we think is clearly spelled out, another brother or sister in Christ studies the same thing and goes, I think it clearly spells out something different. And so we have to be careful about these things that we don't put all of our systematic theology into the doctrine bucket. And this trips up a lot of people. This bucket is for the sound, healthy, wholesome teachings of Jesus and the apostles. That's primarily what we put in there that that has been passed down to us. And that doesn't necessarily include a lot of our theories about how it works behind the scenes. Jesus actually talked about this. Because the exact same issue we struggle with today is what people struggle with in ancient Judaism, especially around the time of the life of Jesus. And you have the Pharisees and the, and the scribes and the Sadducees, and they're all in the Essenes, they're all arguing about different theories about how God works and what God wants. And they're all working from the same scriptures, drawing some different applications from it, trying to piece together some different systems out of it. And they're adding, they're adding things to it, but they're claiming that it actually comes from God. They're claiming that the thing that they have deduced from the scriptures, which is kind of a little bit of an addition, is what everyone ought to follow. And here's what Jesus says about this. He says, their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. That's actually one word originally, and it's didascalia. In fact, some versions will say they teach man-made ideas as doctrines. That's what Jesus is talking about. Taking our extra things and adding it to the doctrine bucket. Now, you know, we're taking this short break from the, un, from the First Timothy series to do this undivided study. But I wanna show you something in First Timothy that's gonna tie into what we're talking about here. It's really important. In First Timothy chapter one, which we just studied a few weeks ago, Paul says, when I left for Macedonia, I urged you to stay there in Ephesus, he's talking to Timothy, and stop those whose teaching is contrary to the truth. Don't let them waste their time in endless discussions of myths and spiritual pedigrees. These things only lead to meaningless speculations which don't help people live a life of faith in God. And we talked about this a few weeks ago the meaningless speculations that we have to be careful not to hold too tightly or spend too much time on a lot of speculations and theories. They're valuable discussions, but they shouldn't be our main focus or priority. They shouldn't go in the doctrine bucket. I want you to hold on to one other phrase, though, that you see here. We're not gonna go into it right away, but I want you to hold on to this phrase. 
which don't help people live a life of faith in God. We're going to come back to this later. So you're going to need to log that in your memory banks. But right now what I want to do is just talk about what does Paul mean when he says good teaching, sound, healthy, wholesome teaching. What does Paul mean by that? How do we take that? And I want to take you to a bunch of different places in Scripture where we see this because I I want you to see a trend here that we're going to go through. What does Paul mean by this good teaching? He tells the Romans, now I make one more appeal, my dear brothers and sisters. Watch out for people who cause divisions and upset people's faith by teaching things contrary to what you have been taught. Stay away from them. It's the same word used there for teachings, the same root word. In this case, it's didaki, but it's the same root word, didasco for didasculia didaki. Notice how Paul defines teachings or doctrine here. He says, what you've been taught, or you could translate it, the things you have learned. He doesn't reference a doctrinal statement. He just says, the things I've taught you, don't let anyone else teach you anything different. In the book of Hebrews, maybe Paul, maybe another author, we don't know for sure, says, so let us stop arguing or going over the basic teachings, there it is, about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. You don't need further instruction, there's the word, about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And so, God willing, we will move forward to further understanding. What he's saying here is that these are some of the basic doctrines. He's giving examples. He's not giving them the complete list. He's just saying the stuff that you've learned about, that basic stuff, those are the basics. Those are the the fundamentals. We need to move forward into further understanding. In Ephesians, Paul says, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. And then he says, this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be blown about by every wind of new teaching. There it is. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Now, what are the gifts that Paul says Christ gave to the church so that they would become mature and wouldn't be influenced by bad teaching or bad doctrine? The gifts are the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Here's here's what all this means. It is the job of the overall leaders of the church to carefully study and prayerfully determine what they believe is sound and healthy teaching. That in the biblical sense of the word is doctrine, the stuff you've learned from me, the stuff we've passed on to you. There's no set necessarily rigid list that comes all the way down from Paul or from Jesus. These things get passed on. And that's what goes into the doctrine bucket. That's what should be viewed as doctrinal. Now, it should not be treated flippantly. This is a serious matter. And it's important that we do our absolute best to get the doctrine right. But we also need to be careful not to put our doctrine on the highest pedestal. We have to be careful not to put our doctrine on the highest pedestal. I know that sounds weird to some people. 
But as you see the structure of this taking place, I hope you're seeing that what Paul says in 1 Corinthians that we talked about last week, what's the most important thing? Not baptism, not these other teachings, not these other things I've talked about for 14 chapters. At the beginning of 1 Corinthians, what's the most important thing? It's the gospel. It's the truth about Jesus. Not that these other things are necessarily unimportant, but the highest pedestal is reserved for the gospel message for the clear, plain teachings about salvation through Jesus Christ and not by anything we could do, only in Jesus and only what God has done for us. The other stuff is important. The doctrine is important. The gospel is more important. And so what you see over time is as people have passed on what they thought was sound, solid, wholesome teaching, sometimes there are different perspectives and human interpretations of what that is. And that is to be expected. We are people. God did not give us the Bible as a systematic theology textbook. If I were writing the Bible, it would have just been this really nice outline. I mean, I would have categorized everything, you know, and had subpoints and Roman numerals and letters and all that stuff. That's just, that's the way I like to see things. In my Western rigid mindset, I want it all like structured. The Bible doesn't work for me, if I'm being honest. I know that sounds crazy. But what I want is a Bible that I really don't even have to dig into that much. I can just go to that point in the outline and be, oh, that's what it is. Solved. Problem solved. For whatever reason, that's not what God gave us. He gave us a Bible that is full of narrative and story and intrigue and and lets us watch these truths play out in the lives of different people. And he expects us to study it to learn from it and he gives us the Holy Spirit to illuminate it to us. He doesn't spell it out for us in one neat, nice list. Now we think we've we've worked through a lot of those things. We have good, sound teaching that we're passing on that traces its way all the way back to the Apostle Paul and to Jesus himself. But we do have to be careful not to confuse our systematic theology and our deductions with the dogma of the gospel. The Bible is a rich, beautiful, deep book and sometimes it is very confusing. And so it's the job of the pastors and the elders of each church to work hard to determine and pass on what we believe are sound teachings in the doctrine bucket. Even within each family, each family might have their own kind of doctrine bucket. Where mom and dad, if there are two parents, say, Here's what we believe goes in here. And and that's gonna happen, and that's okay. There are different churches that have slightly different looking doctrine buckets, and that's okay. Let me be clear, we think they're wrong and we're right. But that's the reality of the situation because of what God gave us and what he expects us to do, and he expects us to study it and to dig into it. And so we're gonna have some different perspectives, and eventually we're gonna find out who's right. Spoiler alert, it's me. But eventually... I am sure there will be things that I am surprised by when I get to heaven and I realize, wow, I can't believe that church down the road had it figured out. Man. So what do we put in the doctrine bucket? Well, the most important thing that goes in there, first of all, is our statement of faith. This comes from the Evangelical Free Church of America. We are associated with them. We're a free church, that's the whole deal. It's autonomous, so they, do not, they don't have authority over us in a sense of a denominational structure, but we are voluntarily affiliated with them. And, and we have adopted their statement of faith as ours. 
You can read that on our website at efree.org. I think it's slash beliefs or just search for it. Our statement of faith declares the core things that we believe to be true from the Bible. Things about God, about scriptures, about the sinful nature of people, about Jesus and his divinity. A lot of things that go into the dogma bucket are in there, but even some things that would not go in the dogma bucket but be in the doctrine bucket are in there. The next thing that we put in the doctrine bucket would be our official positions as a church that are written down and documented. Right now, we only have one of these as far as I am aware. In my last two years, uh, so far I have only found that we have one paper that it would be considered a written position of the church that we have affirmed and hold to that the elders have adopted for our church. And that is found in the EFCA's church statement on human sexuality. And this paper explains our positions on things like homosexuality, same-sex attraction, and marriage, gender identity questions, and other sexually oriented issues. It's a fantastic paper. It's very well researched and, and written, and I encourage you to read that. You can just search for EFCA Statement on Human Sexuality, and you can read that. That is one of our positions that would be part of our doctrine bucket, what we consider the sound teachings of, of this church. There's a paper that's coming up that we are writing ourselves as elders. And this will be a statement on gender roles in the church. I don't know if that's what it'll be called, but that's the basic idea of how, how are we determining what is sound teaching about how men and women operate within the body of Christ based on God's word. And so the elders for the last year have been carefully and prayerfully studying the scriptures and and ancient manuscripts and all the scholarly resources we can get our hands on to, to try to figure out what do we think is the sound, wholesome, healthy teaching that we wanna pass on as a church. The last thing we put in the doctrine bucket is the general teachings of the elders and pastors when representing the church. For instance, in the weekend gatherings like this. And so when I'm up here teaching, I am communicating truth. I'm passing on truth that we consider to be sound teaching, healthy teaching. This this is a part of the doctrine bucket. It's passing on what we've been taught and what we've learned and what we believe to be true. This is what Paul said when he said, pass on wholesome teaching, the things you have heard from me, pass it on, and that got passed on, and that got passed on, and that got passed on. And we are continuing a long tradition of passing on the teachings that have been passed on to us. Now, does that mean we're always right? Yes, no. We we don't have that belief. We don't believe that just because we're passing this on to you and representing it as healthy, sound teaching doctrine in the biblical sense of the word, the old way the word was used, just because we're doing that doesn't mean that we think we're always right. We get it wrong sometimes, we do. And that's one of the reasons why I try to be very careful when I'm speaking to communicate when there are other perspectives on something that are potentially legitimate views. So I try to be very careful not to represent something as absolute truth unless I'm really convinced this is what this means. And in that case, that's, that's wholesome, sound, healthy teaching here. That's what we're teaching as a church. And another church may teach something a little bit differently than that, and, and we might disagree about some of those things. But that's what we are passing on as doctrine, as wholesome, healthy teaching. We always try to communicate, because we'd rather be authentic and just honest when we don't know than to just represent something to make it easy and say, well, this is it right here. And so I'd rather just say, hey, there's some, there's some possible other views involved here and just be realistic about that. And let me give you a few caveats about doctrine. 
We do not believe in mistreating anyone who disagrees with what we call doctrine or sound teaching. We don't think anyone should be mistreated. And in centuries past, this has been a big problem where you disagree about something that I believe and now I actually want to hurt you in some way, either verbally or physically. We do not believe that is appropriate. We do not believe that disagreeing with something in our doctrine bucket necessarily calls into, faith, calls into question your faith in Jesus. You can disagree with something in our doctrine bucket as long as it's not in that dogma bucket. We're going to say, if you believe in that, the, the dogma of the gospel, you're still a follower of Jesus. We might disagree on some other things. And, and we don't believe that if you disagree with something in our doctrine bucket that you shouldn't go to church here. Unless, of course, you're causing problems because of that disagreement. But if you want to quietly disagree with something that we put in our doctrine bucket as sound teaching, that's no problem. Feel free. Now, you probably should not be in a position of spiritual leadership or teaching here in that case. You should probably align with what we consider wholesome teaching. But there are going to be people that are a part of our church, our broader church family that come here on a regular basis who disagree on a point of doctrine with us, and that's okay with us. You're welcome here to be a part of this family, to, to grow in your walk with Jesus here, even if we disagree on some points of doctrine. Now, that does not mean that we are relativists. That does not mean that you're right and we're right and everybody's right. Some religions have that perspective. Your truth is your truth, my truth is my truth, they're both, both truth. No, in this case, we're right and you're wrong. At least that's what we believe. Otherwise, we wouldn't believe it. One day, we will find out what the actual truth is, but we can still be gracious with each other even though we disagree. I want to go back to something earlier. I want to take us all the way back to the book of Titus, where we started, the letter to Titus. And I want to show you something that I think is really, really important. All of this was hopefully helpful context for you, hopefully clarification about what doctrine is and what it means and what goes in the doctrine bucket and maybe dispelled some myths, demystified doctrine a little bit for you at least as we look at the true source of it in God's word. But now I want to show you something way more important. What is the purpose for doctrine? The wholesome, healthy, sound teachings. Why do we even have these? Go back to Titus chapter two. And note this. In verse one, Paul says, as for you, Titus, promote the kind of living that reflects wholesome teaching. Now, when Paul is describing the wholesome teaching here, notice, if you look in, in your Bible, what he is calling wholesome teaching. You might expect him to give a list of like doctrinal statement type things. It's not what he does. This is the phrase we translate as doctrine, but Paul does not give a list of what we would consider to be doctrinal statements after this. What does he say? Be self-controlled, be worthy of respect, live wisely, be filled with love and patience. Older women should live in a way that honors God and not slander others or be heavy drinkers. They should train younger women both in their family roles as well as to be wise and pure and do good. It reinforces what we talked about earlier that sound teaching for Paul is not just a list of doctrinal statements, but it's the, just all the things I passed on to you, the teachings I passed on to you. But here's the more important thing I want you to see. Paul's main point was not make sure everyone believes the right things. Paul's main point was not make sure everyone has the doctrine memorized. His main point was promote the kind of living that reflects wholesome 
teaching. And so you see this in verse three, where he says, live in a way that honors God. Train the younger women, live wisely. In the same way young men should live wisely. This is all about action. And you yourself must be an example of doing good works of every kind. And then this is that phrase I wanted you to hold on to from earlier. Did you remember this? Let everything you do reflect the integrity and seriousness of your teaching. Paul says something very similar to Timothy. In 1 Timothy 6, he says, some people may contradict our teaching, but these are the wholesome teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. These teachings, what? Promote a godly life. That's the point. These teachings are to promote a godly life, not a big head. The purpose of doctrine, sound, wholesome, healthy teaching, was never so you could get lots of knowledge. The purpose of doctrine was never so you could just think the right things. The purpose of doctrine, according to Paul, was so that you could do the right things. It's sound teaching that promotes a godly life. Everything we do should reflect good teaching. What good is it if you fill your head with knowledge and don't live like you believe it? What good is it to argue about the finer points of the gospel if you're never sharing it with other people like Jesus said? What good is it to talk about justice if you aren't working to bring justice to people that are marginalized as God talked about with Isaiah? What good is it to know the outlines of the books of the Bible or memorize a bunch of verses if you aren't living in community with other believers as the Bible tells us to? What good is it to argue about spiritual gifts if you aren't using yours to serve others? What good is it to watch great teaching at conferences and online if it doesn't impact the way you live and serve other people? It is so easy to confuse biblical knowledge with spiritual maturity. Paul makes it abundantly clear. The purpose of doctrine is not just knowledge of good teaching. We should have that. But good teaching put into action. So high school students, our doctrine tells us that God created people in the image of God. And there's a certain value and worth in that because God created them in his image and he loves them and so they have value. And so that should change the way, that should impact the way we treat people, our friends, people at school, people that aren't our friends. That should change the way we treat them because our doctrine tells us they're all created in the image of God. College students, our doctrine tells us that that God created this universe and and Adam and Eve and that they rebelled and fell and that there's a sinful nature that is over all of humanity and that we need God's grace. And so everything else that you're learning should be filtered through that doctrine. Singles, our doctrine teaches that sexual activity was designed by God to be for marriage between a man and a woman. And that's the place where that's appropriate. Anything outside of that is not appropriate. That's outside of God's will. Our doctrine teaches us that. That is in our doctrine bucket. Those of you who struggle with same-sex attraction, our doctrine teaches that the temptation is not the sin. It is acting on the temptation that is the sin. There's a tremendous amount of, of guilt and pressure and pain that is felt just for having temptations. Listen, Jesus was tempted. 
but he didn't act on it, so he didn't sin. And our doctrinal statement, right in that statement on human sexuality says, it's not the temptation that's the sin, it's the action. It's acting on it that's the problem. Parents, when you are struggling with your kids who are just driving you crazy, our doctrine tells us that we are to use prayer to combat those little spiritual forces of evil. I may have adapted that a little bit, but you get the idea. Prayer is such a fundamental part of who we are as Christians. It's right there in our doctrine. It's in our statement of faith. Everyone, we live in a world that is full of chaos and is constantly shifting and changing and we feel unstable. And yet one thing that we can point to as a foundation and a bedrock for us is our doctrine. Not that, not that it is completely um, solid where we never continue to work on it and wrestle with it and question it and go back to the scripture and make sure that based on everything we know, this is still absolutely accurate. But it is, it is pretty solid. It's a strong foundation, it's stable, it's a consistent thing for us to use to filter everything else we do in our life. There is supposed to be a good practice that comes out of good teaching. It's not about just filling our heads with knowledge. So let me close this morning with a challenge for you. I wanna ask you a question. I want you to ask yourselves this question. What is one way that you can do a better job of putting doctrine, sound teaching, into action this week. Maybe it's something you need to filter out. Maybe it's something our doctrine tells us we should be doing that you have not been doing. This is gonna hit different people in different ways. But I want you to ask yourself and ask God to reveal to you, Lord, what is something that I have not been living out that comes out of the good, wholesome teaching that has been passed on to me. Now, if you are in one of our groups, then you have a list of discussion questions that are gonna help you go much deeper on this topic. So take advantage of those if you're in one of our groups because it's gonna make it very custom and very personal to you. I'm gonna ask that you bow your heads with me as we pray. Jesus, thank you for allowing all of this teaching to be passed down to us. It's amazing when you really stop and think about it, 2,000 years, and we still have all of these manuscripts, all of this evidence of what you have done and what you have taught and what you communicated to the Apostle Paul and others. Lord, help us to be faithful stewards of that good teaching. And not just good stewards of it, help us to live it out. Help us not to just soak in all the information, but to actually put it into practice. Lord, I pray that if there's anything in us that does not reflect the good, wholesome teaching that you have been passing on, that you continue to pass on through leadership in this church and and through your word and through your Holy Spirit, Lord, reveal that to us today. Help us to see where we need to make a change. And thank you, Jesus, for allowing us to study your word and to learn so much about you and for just the richness that is there that we can draw on for our everyday lives. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.